0: Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again for another episode. And today, you're in for a real treat because I'm in for a real treat. And I'm extraordinarily pleased to have back Brandon Daniels. Brandon is the president of Global Technology Markets at Exeger, one of the, I think, really leading, not only companies developing tech solutions for compliance, but also really one of the leading thinkers in this field. So, Brandon, first of all, I'm thrilled to have you back and thank you for taking the time to visit with me today.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed our last conversation. I'm looking forward to today as well.
0: So, Brandon, we've had the chance to visit over the past couple of months and really have an ongoing dialogue about where compliance is in terms of technology and and some of the ways that you see technology leading the compliance discussion today. And that's really what I wanted to maybe focus on. And I wanted to start with the question that we have both posed to each other, it's been posed to us, and that we found fascinating, which is, it seems that the market has recognized the need for more robust, both at a high level and into the weeds level, management of third-party risk. So I was wondering what your thoughts might be on that, not only what you're hearing from your marketplace, but also where you think we can take this to the next level.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Now I think there's a revitalized recognition that third-party risk can define your organization. And that hasn't been true as you've looked at past enforcement actions, whether in FCPA or other sort of bribery ethics related regulations like the Sunshine Act in the pharmaceutical space or the, the healthcare space, what you've typically seen is a fairly dry read of the risk that was posed in the scope or in the context of the law. And when I've worked inside of companies helping them to investigate issues around third-party risk management, the slicing and dicing that's done in terms of what was a legal issue, what was a critical issue for them to address or versus what is a potential compliance issue related to a distributor or a third-party or a supplier That analysis was very surgical, right? There wasn't a sort of broader concept or reputational risk has on an organization when they are caught into a scandal by third parties, right? And I think with the revised compliance guidelines, the revised instructions that OFAC has put out in terms of the corporate responsibilities for managing sanctions violations, the overhaul of the way that the FCPA regs are enforced has created a much more significant exclamation point on third-party risk and what it means to you and third-party risk management and how important it is to embed it inside of your organization, right? This isn't a peripheral risk. This is the kind of risk that creates shareholder value destruction. This is the kind of risk that can lead to significant fines, and this is the kind of risk that starts to consume your brand, right? We've seen in some of the FCPA investigations that issues and companies have now become linked, right? There are names out there that have been hit with recent FCPA enforcement actions where their name is now synonymous, with that kind of corruption, bribery, ethics violations, risk. And so that now consumes the company, makes it very hard to work, and especially with the significant debarment steps and enforcement in debarment that you've seen from some of the world trade organizations, you know, it's becoming a really serious problem for companies to manage. So what I think has happened is we've gone from the days where These were seen as episodic, consolidated, almost quarantined issues into something where people recognize that third-party risk management is really about reputation management, shareholder
0: value, and maintaining your brand. Brennan, I'm very intrigued by your use of the word revitalization. In the 10 or 15 years that I've been kind of playing in the FCPA slash compliance space, Third party risk has always been the highest risk for a government intervention in terms of a violation. But you pointed to the OFAC framework for compliance programs. But if we add on the antitrust division's comments around their thoughts on a compliance program, and even last week or within at least the last two weeks, the government announcing a procurement collusion strike force focusing on uh, procurement fraud in government contracts, I think you're absolutely on to something that. Actually, the scope of third-party risk has changed, and that's changed dramatically. And it really leads to the next point I wanted to explore with you, which is, it is the compliance function as it currently exists, populated largely by lawyers, certainly people like myself, really set up to deal with change management? And how can a technological solution help the compliance function move to this more robust view that the regulators have of the need for third-party risk management? Yeah, I
1: think there is a responsibility on the triumvirate of this commission, right? There are the companies themselves, there are the government entities, and then there are the suppliers, right? And the suppliers could be law firms and the services that they provide in order to help you figure out issues that are core to a solid and sustainable compliance program, and there are technology companies, and there are consultants, right, that also are a massive part of getting this piece right. And there are requirements for each of those parties, the suppliers, the companies themselves, and the government agencies, their responsibilities on each side that they each have to take seriously and have to coalesce around. From a supplier perspective, part of this is education, right? So one of the industries where I have had a lot of insight and have been heavily involved is the e-discovery industry, right? Which supports litigation investigations. And I've specifically seen it in the context of massive FCPA investigations. And one of the things that we had to do as an industry in the legal field, was educate the judiciary, right? We had to make sure that judges understood the context of electronic evidence, the importance of electronic evidence, the benefits of electronic evidence, right? And we had to make sure that they understood it not in arcane or complex or jargon-filled terms, but in ways that matched and aligned to the assessments that they were doing in their cases and promoted full and fair and reasonable discovery practices. And that education process took years. But in the end, you see the e-discovery world as almost a central component to any litigation and investigation that goes on a major corporate. Whereas 20 years ago, it didn't even exist, right? It was an afterthought, if anything. You were printing out the emails and rescanning them in after you redacted them, right? So, the importance of the vendor community speaking to and educating the corporate clients, the CCOs, on how one risk manifests in terms of third party risk, right? There are ways in which technology can help you to better assess transactions. You know, Matt Galvin from AB InBev has built an incredible and leading system that helps you to assess transactions and transaction patterns on a continuous basis to find potential or indicative risk. And then there are systems like ours, 3PM, that helps you to understand the footprint of a company, right? Does it operate in high-risk jurisdictions, emerging markets, those that have a high corruption or have a high degree of potential corruption issues on some of the major indexes, whether or not that's Transparency International or FATF for the World Corruption Index, right? The assessment of whether or not they operate in high-risk jurisdictions, or if there are latent connections between that organization and potentially politically exposed individuals or other reputational issues like they've been involved in, you know, fraud matters or have other what I would say, less desirable attributes about those companies. So you've got these different technologies that help you to automate the diligence process and automate the transaction process or transaction analysis process so that you can actually do at scale what you used to do at a micro level only if you had – a potential hotline tip, or you had, you know, a serious inquiry, or if you had a regulatory inquiry that had come through, right? That kind of analysis to compare, you know, a specific distributor, a specific vendor to the others in your population to look for potential anomalies, that work that forensic accountants would do, you know, in those investigations can actually be routinized and scaled in a product like BrewRite that analysis that you would have investigators come in and do on open sources, right? Everything from checking corporate registries to understanding UBOs to assessing potential reputational risk that's linked with a company can be done in technology like ours. So it's explaining and describing to compliance officers that, look, we're not actually increasing your work. We're not increasing the footprint. We're providing you a scaled prophylactic measure on all of your third parties that can allow you to monitor continuously the risk that they present to your company so that then a year later, you're not spending 10 times that cost trying to adjudicate one investigation with law firms, investigation folks, and forensic accountants that are now trying to weed through all of the work that you could have done seamlessly up front. So I think that there's an education piece to make sure that, A, CCOs understand the technology, they understand some of the cost shifting that can be done, they understand the tools that can enable them, and that we make sure that they understand they're defensible, They're auditable and they're transparent. So when your auditors come in or if an issue does come up, you can show the fidelity of the compliance program that you've put together. And then the vendors have to do that with the government as well. That same conversation that they have with compliance has to be shared with the government because the government has to understand that a good set of compliance procedures, if not followed, if not routinized, if not supported by technology, is very hard to implement when you get to the size of 1,000 people, 10,000 people, 80,000 people, 200,000 people in a company, right? It's hard to scale. it. And so making sure that they understand that companies that do this kind of automation, this routinization of those compliance practices in technology are better equipped to manage that risk and those that make those investment are showing a real commitment to good governance. I think that's an education layer that first the vendors have to do, but then the corporates and the vendors have to take a concerted approach to over time. So the biggest thing from my perspective, Tom, is that this is a period in time where education, collaboration, and considered creativity – across that triumvirate is critical.
0: That really points one and two on the revitalization of third-party risk management and the change and focus on risk management through this additional education leads to the point that really excites me the most. And that's where I really think you guys are, if not the leader, certainly one of the market leaders in helping compliance officers, but more importantly, business executives understand that... Uh, Risk can be a public good if it's managed properly. But if you use the tools that you've laid out, I think you can really move it to using risk as a competitive advantage. So I was wondering what your thoughts might be around that third So you are dead on. I
1: completely agree with that thesis. I'll give you an example. So in one of our clients, they're an investment firm right? And one of the things that they do is they invest in global global companies. They mostly specialize in SMEs, but they also have some big companies. They invest in those companies and you know, fund growth. So they look at emerging markets a lot. They look at emerging spaces and areas. They look at areas that are going through growth periods. And one of the things that they always analyze is they look at credit worthiness in that area. They look at consolidation in that area. You know, they have these risk measures that they assess. And one of the things that we had posited to that client that uses our third-party management software is why don't you actually treat reputational risk or, you know, more specifically, anti-bribery, anti-corruption risk as a metric, right? So, for instance, when you had the issues that were going on in the telco space, in anti-bribery, anti-corruption, or you had the overhaul of the financial institutions, you know, and potential bribery or allegations of bribery in China related to government officials, sort of relatives being hired as a potential kickback, right? When you had those issues that were being raised as a specter, what you could start to do is start to look at that metric in a specific industry and determine whether you as a fund or the companies that you're looking to acquire have appropriate mitigating controls to weather that risk. And also you can temper or you can sort of ebb and flow your investment based upon the presence of of anti-bribery, anti-corruption risk, right? Maybe in the you know shipping sector, you feel like you've got a good handle on the risk or the fact patterns that create risk in the risk and shipping area. And so when other people are retreating because they see the regulators sort of circling, you can make smart investments into that space as a fund, right? You can get like, let's say you took our tool and you just did a composite of 100 companies in a space. We could show you where anti-bribery, anti-corruption risk essentially had been evidenced across the space, right? What jurisdictions that anti-bribery, anti-corruption risk had been in and where you're seeing consolidation where that risk might spread, right? If you looked at that as a metric and you said, hey, we've got anti-bribery, anti-corruption risk at a three in our portfolio right now, I think we could get into spaces that take us into a four, but our multiples would be increased by a certain CAGR. Well, that is worthwhile, right? So you start to look at anti-bribery, anti-corruption risk, ethics risk, and the potential penalties and the rest of it. As a way to analyze the world, as a way to analyze your business, as opposed to just constantly looking at it as a compliance measure, right? And also start to beef up your own mitigating controls so you can make investments deeper into spaces that are in emerging markets, that have high growth potential, but also have high risk potential.
0: So does that sort of analysis sit in the compliance function or is that, you know, a business development function utilizing the metrics that a compliance officer would have to develop?
1: It's a partnership, right? So compliance gets the tool to cover a risk, business development, investment managers, the CFO's office, right? Those people start to use that information, that data, to drive decision-making, right? It's a strong partnership between both the compliance officer and, you know, the other business functions to drive a recognition of this risk as a metric. And that also turns the compliance officer into a value creation engine for the business, right? It turns a compliance function from a cost center into a potential value center.
0: Does that message resonate in the marketplace? Or once again, are we back to the educational component you talked about a little bit earlier? I think people are starting to get it. I think it resonates. I think people are still
1: struggling with the first step, right? How do I make this a reality? But people are starting to get that this is something that needs to be quantified and something that needs to be assessed in the context of their business operations and
0: investment decisions. Well, Brandon, unfortunately we are near the end of our time, but uh, this has been a fascinating discussion and I greatly hope that we can uh, continue this. So I look forward to hearing from you again. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you. If you're a compliance professional looking for a convenient and effective way to fulfill your continuing education requirements, go to fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses and choose from four hour-long training packages that will keep you current. That's fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses.